welcome back to Dame It All the Hell. I'm Kelly Gibson, and here we are another week. We took a week off, but that didn't really mean a week off for me. Since we recorded last, I've been in North Carolina, Georgia, Nevada, California, Hawaii, and Michigan, and I'm headed to Long Island tonight. So tis the season, 96 days, friends, 96 days until the Democrats take back the House. Oh, I, I don't even want to know what to say to that. But <laughs> the travel is crazy. And and I'm Tracy Dietz, and I spent a week in Virginia Beach for my kids' dance competition. My da- my kids danced every day for six straight days. And this is the, fir- <laughs> the first time I've ever felt like we were in an episode of Dance Moms. They were actually fighting. There were studios saving seats, moms sitting in the save seats. There, there's just a lot of a lot of confrontation, and I just sat on the floor and watched my kids dance because I, I wanted to stay away from all of that. Anyway, uh, welcome back, Kelly. We're I'm glad to be back. Well, I have well, missed 48 you. 48 hours of the nation's capital is about all anyone needs. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I am beyond super excited today because we have a very special guest. We have our first male guest star, and he is a star, former RNC chairman, Michael Steele. Michael Steele, welcome. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what you're up, up to? ladies in the house? I'm, I'm the luckiest man in D.C. today, baby. Let me tell you. Folks, trust me, I am the luckiest man in D.C. right now. It's great to be with the Danes. Thank you. Thank you. We're so happy to have you. Yeah. So you've got your own podcast these days? I do. I just launched it about three weeks ago. It's called Man of Steel. And uh, it's a lot of fun. We um, do something a little bit different from your your podcast. I, I don't, I you know, I've done the interview thing. <laughs> I do that on MSNBC. I've done it on my own show on Sirius uh, when we were there. But um, this is a chance where I just like that, you know, sort of barbershop feel where, you know, you kind of get in a room with someone and you kind of sit down and you're, you're waiting in line to get your hair cut or you're waiting in line to get served at the counter and you strike up a conversation. But the beauty of it is you get to overhear the conversation. So, you know, it's not a lot of, whole, a lot of questions and answering, but it's just really, you know, folks um, talking about very much – pretty much anything and everything. We cover it all. I've had some great guests. I uh, just finished up with uh, W. Kamal Bell, a uh, comedian uh, who um, has just – just a crazy guy. He's got this crazy title for a book, which is hysterical. You know, it's like, it's, you know, six foot four, black something. It just goes on for like 40 descriptions, but it's a great, great conversation. So check it out. Man of Steel. That's I awesome. feel like I could do it. Six foot four, black, African-American, heterosexual, cisgendered, blurt. Blurt, yep. There is another one. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's yeah. a great episode. You guys should uh, listen. Liberal. Liberal. He's a liberal. Yeah. yeah. He, he identified as but a But you guys had a lesson. lovely conversation. We did. And and that's the goal. I mean, they, you, you kind of get in the room and and it was funny because at the end of the podcast, I said, well, maybe next time I have you on, we'll talk politics. I mean, <laughs> we, we didn't really get into the politics. You know, but, you know, other other uh, guests I've had on, we have. We've kind of gotten into it a little bit. Uh, Jason Johnson, who was my first guest. Um uh, noted, uh, you know, uh, professor at uh, at Morgan State University as well as uh, you know, regular on MSNBC, you know, commentator. So he came on and a uh, real smart guy and got into some real deep stuff. That was right after Helsinki. So that was entitled, What the Hell Happened in Helsinki? <laughs> Can I ask a question? Sure. Your two guests so far, 
And there's a third episode but, I don't think I've listened to. Well, yeah, to. Jonathan Capehart of the Washington Post, Pulitzer Prize. Who is a person me. of color or not? Yes. Yes, yes. So do you intend on having all your guests being people of color? No. so far they no, have been. They have you been. said I could be. No, absolutely <laughs> no, clearly no, not. No, Trace, I would love <laughs> to get you both on, to be honest. It would be great to bring the dames to Man of Steel. <laughs> would love to. You know, Man of Steel versus dames. This is this is one that um, – You're going to I, I don't know if you heard, but it's the year of the woman. <laughs> you're you're going to lose. I know you're going to win. I already know you're going to win. So that's not a, no, that's not a question. I think it's pretty interesting that – Either intentional or unintentional, so far your content has been from the lens of a per, of people of color, which is I, I, I mean I'm a I'm the liberal in this situation, right. but I, it's it's an awesome perspective. I've really enjoyed it. No, I appreciate that, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I really didn't intend it that way. It's just these are guys that I talk with a lot and have conversation with a lot, and it was just a moment where I was like, yeah, let's get Jason on. In fact, to your point, the original. Uh, podcast, the first episode, was supposed to have been both Jason and Jonathan Capehart. So it would have been the three brothers, again, sort of that barbershop feel, sort of sitting around. <laughs> Barbara clearly cut me a little close. Um, but it was the, that was the idea. But Jonathan was still traveling, so we went with Jason. Jonathan came on the next week. Then we had W. Kamau uh, Bell uh, this week. Um, and next week, I don't know yet who it's going to be. So you're doing I, it I may go out and find some white person who's randomly chosen to come on. I don't you're know. like, this it's a barbershop. <laughs> this is a barbershop. Yeah, you may be slightly unfamiliar. And we do the- not wash your hair here, okay? <laughs> Just so you know. <laughs> and they're always calling in. You don't ever do it in a studio. Like they're not yeah, coming to your they're not, studio. Yeah, they're not in a studio, although I like your setup. So I may be talking to your producer <laughs> about totally. it's a good spending setup. some time with them. Well, it's fun because it, it's great to, to be with guests. You know, one on one. You know, so. it's fun for the for the, particularly for the DC people. It's it's good to have them. Hey, come during lunchtime. I mean, because we we're flexible on the timing, um, and uh, so they can come anytime and do it. But it's it's been fun so far, and the response has been really good. And the other thing is, people. You know, what's interesting? People haven't gotten used to. So the kicker in the podcast is that underneath the conversation is a little bit of music. So you've got this this little bump of music underneath, right. and it's just you know sometimes it's a little jazzy, sometimes it's a little progressive, sometimes it's a little hip hop. So it's a it's a this, folks are like, what's up with the music? <laughs> can you turn the take off the music? I can't hear the conversation. I'm like, dude, you can barely hear the music. Stop it. But so the, you know, again, trying to create an atmosphere, which is fun. Do I dare say Michael Steele always pushing norms? Yeah, that's about yeah, kind of kind of my mo. <laughs> so speaking, oftentimes of, gets me in trouble. <laughs> so speaking of pushing norms, sort of moving into politics. A sure, bit. you're a Republican. Yes, today. I'm a Republican. Yes, I'm a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like for you to be a Republican in today's atmosphere? It's very frustrating, right? Because the things that drew me to the party. Uh, as a 17-year-old kid here in D.C. growing up uh, back in the day is not what I think will draw anyone to the party today. But you're staying I mean, in just, the party. Yeah. And why I mean, is that? Well, because it's worth the fight to me. Yeah. I'm not going to let someone push me out just because they're an idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm just not. I, I just – you know, if you're going to take my values and my pr- principles and distort them and contort them into something ugly, uh, I'm going to fight that. Uh, and so for me right now, <laughs> I'm, you know, never say never in politics. There could come a day where I go, you know what, just F it. We're done. You can um, say fuck. Here we say fuck. We say fuck. Oh, we here. can? You yeah. can say fuck. Oh, hell good. <laughs> so fuck it. And, and, and so I just, I, you know, I, I just can't, I just can't um, play that game. I refuse to play that game. Look, it took a lot 
uh, to to win the House in 2010 uh, for the party against a lot of internal crap mm-hmm. that I took from a lot of people uh, who afterwards would take you know claim credit for the success of what we did at the RNC. That's fine. I get that. I can. That's politics 101. You kind of deal with that. But this is not that. This is this goes to the core of what you believe and what you value um, as a conservative, as a Republican, and I think we need to be clear. And I think this is where the challenge has, has grown and fermented over the last thirty plus years since Reagan, is that there is a difference between being a conservative and being a Republican. You can be both. You can be one or the other, and and so it's a matter of the party reconciling itself to that truth. So that you can have someone who may be a conservative Democrat, as Reagan recognized, and draw them in, and they were affectionately known as Reagan Democrats. Um, or you can have people who, you know, are William F. Buckley, you know, you know, Goldwater, hardcore Republicans. Or you can have Republicans from the Northeast who tend to be more Rockefellerish in their in their outlook. Or you have guys like me, who are originalists, who kind of look at the party's original intent, which was about first and foremost freedom for every individual in the country. Period. Regardless of anything else, the Constitution dictated the terms of engagement. And so all of that can rest under one umbrella as far as I'm concerned. I think, if I may, I yes. think that the— I Sure, show, sure. yes. I, I, think, <laughs> I know. I, I want you Well, to like, I think there are factions inside of the Democratic Party that sort of a bit line up with what you've just described, mm-hmm. right? Which we see, which we saw in 16, the Bernie-Hillary right. sort of split. But early in, in the description you just described about taking the – if in, even if idiots are running the party right now using your mm-hmm. – at least a sort of synopsis of your words and you're taking the fight to it. Can you help describe for our listeners what what does that feel like? Like would – so y- you've joined the, the damn it's it painful. all to hell. It's and painful. We are, we are self-described feminists. We are different kinds of feminists. Mm-hmm. Would you consider yourself a feminist? Absolutely. And how, I was raised uh, by my mother. Your mama. <laughs> so. And I learned that in your podcast, which yeah. is amazing. So talk a little bit about how on my side of the dame's pers- the sort mm-hmm. of spectrum, we're having a hard time seeing how Republicans are taking it. Because you all have power here. So it's hard to take the fight to power. Well, they're not. You know? that, that, that's a very good point yeah. that your question you're asking because – and that I think would be my frustration and I don't want to speak – for my friend over here. Tracy Tracy, It's actually my frustration too. But they're not taking the fight because the principle that everyone articulates would require that you take the fight to the power, Mm -hmm. right? But they're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the wine. Um, And and so they're not doing that. So the fact of the matter is you put your finger on a core point for Republicans which will become – uh, a very uh, important one for Democrats as well. For sure. Because what you see happening uh, on the Republican side is an outgrowth of about 30 years of wandering and trying to figure out exactly who the hell we are, what we believe, what we value, right? But wandering with Wait, purpose. Wait, you think you guys did such a good job at wandering well, with purpose. Well, well, but, that, but because there were some – there were anchors that we could hold no, on to. but we knew – I mean we haven't been wandering for 30 years. Like we knew who we were. Like, I, I would disagree with that. Way, I, I, I feel I would, like now is the only time that like, I, I would disagree with that. You know, but you know what, Trace? You know what happened? After Reagan, there was this internal tension about who now is going to carry that mantle. We have been looking for another Reagan since Reagan. 
All right. It was not Trump. And and it, and it and it is not. Not Sorry. only was it not Trump, it is not Trump. I'm not trashing Trump. I'm just saying that it no, wasn't I, Trump. No, it's, it's not a question of trashing. It's it's a question of dealing with the reality. And the truth is, within the party, there was this struggle. I can. What that was what the 2006 election was about. That's what the 2008 election was about. That's what 2010 was about. In different ways, for different reasons, that struggle manifests itself. Um, Tea Party, which was your year, which was our year, and but well, you, you let me, but let, but let me tell you what RNC. I had to do to yeah. corral the tea. Remember what the Tea Party started out doing? They started taking out our, our incumbents. Yes. you know, Mike yes. Castle in, in Delaware, yes. for example, was the only person who could keep that seat. Now Senator Coons has it, and that's that's the end of that. You know, um, and so for me, it was actually going in and understanding what those tensions were, and they related back to the 1990s when Newt Gingrich got on the House floor and started to stir that, that sort of antagonistic pot. And that's been roiling beneath the surface. Here's the rub, though. Democrats now find themselves faced with that exact same problem. Because Bernie and and um, Alexandria Cortez, uh, oh, Cortez. Cortez. they're yeah. not oh. they're not going. And I'm telling you, taking her around the country and pushing her out as the face of the Democratic Party is not helping the Democratic Party. <laughs> no, we're having the exact <laughs> and I same like thing. her. I mean, I like her. Uh, I like. I, well, she's a bold bitch. I mean, she knows how to throw it down. She knows, and that's what I appreciate yeah. about her. That's why I love that side of her feminism. She speaks the language of her constituents, but she's not ready. In fucking Brooklyn. Though. Thank you. Yes. that's it. But and not so, in Indiana. And or so, with the, exactly, and that's the party's problem. And it, you, you have, you have the other side of the Tea Party coin, the other side of the Trump coin, is uh, Occupy Wall Street in the terms of Tea Party. And Bernie Sanders in the term in terms of Trump, and so those two realities coexist right now within the Democratic Party. And the question you hear often asked, and I would ask it to you, is what is a Democrat? Because I know a lot of Democrats who identify with the old school, all right, uh, not with this new school. You know, they're they're not Elizabeth Warren Democrats. They're not Bernie Sanders Democrats. But they will go to their death calling themselves liberals uh, and identifying with the democratic value system, uh, even though the internal problems notwithstanding, you know, number of folks who get to go to conventions and all that crazy. Well, I mean, I still have a I'm for Hillary sticker on the mirror where I do my makeup every day. It's just just hard to take that off. I know. Oh, I know. But (laughs) so my question for you. So like we just spent like we spent the better part of 10 minutes sort of reflectionary talking Mm -hmm. about like where the parties have been. But I think what Tracy and I were hoping when we were doing prep for this is what, you know, you're you're a former head of the RNC. You're a person of color that is firmly in the Republican Party. You are a pundit on MSNBC, which is clearly enemy territory for you. Mm-hmm. And what do you think that there's a blue wave? Do you think there's a pink wave? Like I am I am I've drank the Kool-Aid. Right. It's my work. Right. I, I a couple of things. One, I think women are gonna have a profound performance. In the um, general election. In on the both general sides? election on on one side. <laughs> Um, uh, there, there are roughly about 16 Republican women, um, that are running in competitive races this fall. There are about 400 (laughs) Democratic women that are running in competitive races this fall. So I think the, I think the, the, that flow is going to continue and just grow. I think women, 
born out of Me Too, born out of Access Hollywood, born out of, uh, of a whole bunch of things, Harvey Weinstein, a whole bunch of assholes out there. Done being who, taken advantage of. It's not even a question of being taken advantage of anymore. It's that they're just tired of the BS. We're not putting up with your crap anymore. Fuck off. Many husbands have heard that term <laughs> many, many times. Now all of us are hearing it at the same time. And I think that that's, that's number one. Number two, um, I don't see how you avoid – it may not be a wave. It could be – it's certainly not a tsunami yet. Let's, let's talk about that come like late September, early October because then you'll have a sense of where voters are settling down. And where the but, money is. Right. But, you know, and not even so much. This is an election where money, yeah, it's going to be helpful, but passion is going to drive it. Passion is going to drive that vote out. It already has reflected itself as such in the polls, so in I'm the primaries. Not, I'm not super convinced of the Democratic wave, uh, <laughs> partly shocked. because so, – so I get it on the, the primary side and, and Republicans have the crazy train wave right. on our side. Um, Trump – it's very, very difficult for Trump to lose. And I don't know the, – the second Trump comes in and backs somebody – Tell they me, win. tell me which, tell me which state does a Trump candidate that's not a blood red state or blood red congressional district. Tell me which one he takes from a Democrat. So fair enough, but winning a primary is not the same as winning a general. Correct. Number one, number two, Correct. there are a lot of independent and center right Republicans who will not vote for a Trump candidate this November. You think they'll stick it out and not do it? If you were endorsed by Donald Trump in a primary, you're pretty much toast in a lot of those congressional districts. Do you think that – Number three, we're defending – we have to defend uh, 24 seats, 24 seats. We've had over 46 retirements and folks who've just stepped – just like, I'm out. The math doesn't work for right. us. Pennsylvania and California alone could could flip the house. Yeah. For, for Republicans. And then California just had the difference between incumbents versus sure, Hillary. Sure, sure. And I, I'm, I am. As my, and I say that as someone who does, I really want us to keep the House, but oh, I'm, I think I'm also. I we're going to lose the House. I'm, I'm realistic. Now, let me put this little nugget in there. If the president continues with his crazy about, uh, about shutting down the federal government in September, the Senate becomes in play. So I think that there is, you know, the. The the president has has a real stance about shit. Like he 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 follows his gut. He says what's on his mind. He shakes it up. And he drains the swamp. All that sort of shit. I like that. Right. But there are some there's some stuff he started in sixteen that he can't shake for eighteen. So what we were hoping to talk to you about is this assessment of lock her up. Okay. And this sort of gets back to what's the basis of this podcast, which is there is a in, there is a deep entrenched. Uh, disadvantage to being a woman in this business. Still currently, hopefully not forever, right. but it sort of feels like, and it's changed, Weinstein and Frankel, Franken and, you know, Joe Barton, a whole bunch of motherfuckers that have gone down <laughs> because they're dicks and they showed their dicks and we're over that. But Nobody wants to see your penis. Right. Like, keep your penis in your pants. Like, oh. if her clothes are on and yours are off, you've done something <laughs> wrong. Something That's our motto us. around here. If her clothes are on, your clothes are off, you've cool. done something wrong. So there is – so, you know, our lovely president is on the trail because he's trying to win again in 2020 and he keeps up Locker Up and Crooked Hillary is still really strong in the sort of eye of his base and that's all great. Although 
why are we keeping that up? She's never going to run again. Like, that's, she didn't do anything it, illegal. It it's a goofy debates, thing. But that's only 30%. So, but is lock her up the, the debate that Tracy and I would We're like having. to have? Would love for her to hear what you say. Is lock her up code for a larger misogynistic movement? Is lock her up not about putting Hillary Clinton behind bars? It, I think lock her up is about being afraid of strong women. I think the basis of lock her up is that I mean, if you look if you look at uh, Trump uh, and his dealings uh, with women, uh, uh, the well, there there are two types. They're the ta- the type that are now suing him or have sued him or have made claims against him because of his behavior. And then they're the types that stand over him when he's at an EU function and look at him like you are a stupid asshole, and Ang- does he- Angela Merkel. So you look at the women that he's pushing back on the, against on the international stage, Theresa May, Angela Merkel. They're all very strong women. Um, and he does not know how to deal effectively or in any form, in my view, with a strong woman. He just doesn't. And – that is – I think that is the underlying uh, core of a lot of his pushing. I mean his performance in the debate against Hillary where he just followed her around to try to intimidate her, standing behind her in every shot, trying to be the aggressive alpha male. And she looked at him like, just pull your pants up and sit down. You know, It, it was just really kind of that dismissive look. But he does not know how to deal with that. So- That's number one. Number two on the lock her up. Replaying that would be the same as replaying uh, Barack Obama was not born here. We need to see his birth certificate. In other words, it feeds a certain element of the Republican base. It reminds them of the good old days. It reminds them that Donald Trump is their their fighter, their champion, and he'll go out and say and do anything. But if I may, at the expense of women, at the expense of women, like the the birth certificate thing was at the expense of – African-Americans. Okay. You go, Trace. Right. I mean, but is it born out of a misogynistic nature to lock all women up and put them away so that women no. have no power and no. can't do anything? No. So, no. Right. I, think, I, I don't think I, I think, think again, I think it's specific to strong, particular women that he has to deal with. I, I, would not, I would not say that lock her up is generic for lock every woman up because he doesn't view every woman the same way. Uh, and so, therefore, but if it's a woman that's threatening to it's him, it's a woman that's threatening to him. Maybe I mean I've never well, heard him. I mean I didn't hear him apply that term to a Roseanne. All right, he used <laughs> because she's a crazy lunatic well, who hates black but people. But, but I'm fine. But I'm just saying it wasn't one of those things that it was. It was something as aggressive as locking her up. It was just more dismissive of her. Um, and and so I, I just think I just think that. When it comes to those type of women that Hillary Clinton represented in so many ways. And the irony there is that 52 percent of those very sophisticated, white, educated, uh, strong women voted for the man. So I don't know how they reconcile that. Well, I mean, it was in states like Florida where the educated man, I don't care where you are. 52 percent of all educated white women across the country voted for Donald Pump, Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Pump. They, they, well, Donald Pump. this is like a, a bit of a different discussion. I think those people preferred exclusion versus inclusion. But I, I uh, the, the no, lock, you can't ju- you can't just make a blanket statement that they prefer. Why do I think women versus- voted for Donald versus Hillary? Because they wanted something different. They wanted to change. They 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 still be- there are a lot of people that still believe in freedom did, and did, individual and, responsibility. And they which didn't is, like Hillary. Right. 
because she's threatening. So I, I would like uh, to go back. That, to, that's your, that's your, that's your adage. Uh, I don't know if it, the, like, I don't think too many women saw her as threatening. I think they saw her as a sellout. Women, I think they saw her as unrepresentative of women. Women who decided to live a life that was more inward looking versus outward looking have a problem with women who are ambitious. I have I, experienced it in my career. I, I, Personally, that, yeah, as a woman, right. when I take a step out, when I put myself out there, right. when I step above my weight class, if you will, when mm-hmm. I box above my weight class, women dislike it more than men. And I think that she – we've never had a female president. Right. We have we have a, a giant majority more so, leadership that are men than women. I think the lock her up is not putting women behind bars. It's saying that we've it's an experiment. The idea that we would have more elected women than men is something fucking new and crazy scary. And so a whole bunch of people are like, "But that hasn't happened yet, right?" Because we're locking her up still in rallies. Her is not Hillary anymore. She's never running again. She hasn't done anything. Like lock her up is shut up the That's women. Not true people Let's still think Hillary's running uh, in twenty twenty. Yeah, there's yeah, a lot of I think, people, I think a lot of people think Hillary's she's not running in 2020. I think, but I, I, I think a lot of sake, people think that, that she's she not is. Running in 2020. She's 100 percent not running in 2020. I hope so. I, it's I, not, it's we we agree with you, but I I think that that is not necessarily in the main for for folks in terms of whether or not Hillary's running. I think they are they are of a mind that yeah, she very well could be. But I still think I think it may be reading too much into uh, that phrase. To project it onto somehow Donald Trump is now saying this about all women or all strong women, and the country's buying that. Uh, can we talk about 2020? Sure. I would love to go in and talk about 2020, a little bit about both what you think that the Democrats, who they might be putting mm-hmm. up. Kelly, obviously, want your opinion on this as well. What does it look like 2020 for Republicans? And do you think that we'll see more women running for office in 2020 on the Republican ticket? And will Republicans vote for women? That was like seven questions. Sorry. <laughs> All right. So let's see. 2020. I may be taking – I'll take some of this in and out of ver- various orders. Um, the uh, – OK. Donald Trump. I, I, I be honest, straight up on He's the – He's going to win. Straight up on the table if he runs. He's going to run. I'm not convinced. No? I'm not convinced. Yeah. I know the man well enough to know I'm not convinced. And is he, does he take himself out or is he, he incarcerated? Himself. No, he takes himself out. This idea of Donald Trump being impeached only happens if the Democrats get both the House and the Senate. Uh, a Republican House will not convict, uh, will not impeach, totally. him, and the Senate will not convict. A Democratic House may impeach, but a Republican Senate will not convict. Uh, so we have the Mexican standoff like mm-hmm. we d- saw with Bill yeah, Clinton. Yeah, yeah. So that's not going to happen. So let's assume all things are go with the campaign. Trump decides to run again. Uh, there are forces inside the Republican Party now that are looking to challenge him. Um, so he may get uh, a challenge from his center right uh, in in the primary. Um, you know, maybe that's going to be dirty. It'll be dirty. It'll be it'll be really sort of the last stand for principle. Just kind of making that point. Um, but it's very difficult to challenge your your incumbent, uh, incumbent yeah. uh, head of your party. Uh, we saw that already play out on the Democratic side with Carter and Kennedy um, back in 1980. Uh, did not end well for either. Uh, and so there's that. Um, Republican women, I think you will see more uh, probably running. Uh, but the problem is that's going to have to be a concerted effort to go after certain Republicans already in seats. So that means primarying a number of Republicans uh, who are men 
there, there won't be as many open seats. Now, the Senate will be an interesting sort of tackle for both Republicans and Democrats because Republicans will have more seats up than Democrats. So something on the order of 26, I believe, to some, like 10. Which is the, if I may, the opposite of 18. Right. So 18 were really on the defense in the Democratic Party. Right. And it's tough. It's going to be tough and to hold what we got. And yeah. and it's going to be it, – it, I think the Democrats are going to do better than a lot of people give them credit for in 18. Uh, of the five Senate seats that are in play, I think they win two. Uh, maybe three of them they hold on to, um, uh, like in West Virginia, for example. Um, so there, there's that. The problem for senators running in 2018, Republican senators running in 2020, is Donald Trump is the head of the ticket. And uh, the question then becomes how much do they embrace and, and pull him in and how much do they repel or push him out? Uh, and I think there's going to be probably more repelling than embracing. Really? But, well, because – yeah. Because a lot of those states are not red states. Right. The but there's still a lot – there's a states. lot of those, or, those, those states that, that embrace him in ways that I never would have thought they would have embraced That was in then. And people and need to get it, out of their head. This is not – 2018 is not 2016. There were a lot of, I think, systemic issues that defined that playground – for independents and center right center center right Democrats and Republicans. So what happens though if the economy is booming, unemployment is the lowest it's ever been, four hundred one Ks, stock I don't, stuff I don't looks think amazing. We're, if the president stays true to his his uh, his tariff his tariff it's all going to hell. I think I look we're we are right now with interest rates kicking up uh, the tax that's been imposed um, on various uh, manufacturing and farming communities already. Uh, I just don't see how you avoid a recession. Yeah. So the price of Coke is now going up price because of, of the price of aluminum that's going right. up. So and that, that hurts the poor. Of course. It hurts everybody. And so the party's got to go and make that case. I don't know how you make that case and say, well, yeah, the economy is great. And the polls even show right now that people aren't buying that because they're not feeling it. Oh, and then there's a little thing about health care. I mean, people don't realize what's going to happen come September, October, November of this year. When uh, insurance companies decide to pass on to us thirty to ninety percent increases in health care premiums, my state alone is looking at that range. I mean, they asked for thirty. Well, nobody should live in Maryland. They, uh, <laughs> Maryland is a terrible state for taxes. I thought I was going to be Mrs. Maryland. We had a plan. You can be Mrs. Maryland. Yeah. No, we can do that. It, you should it, not it, live in Maryland. It works. So, you know, it, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of fault lines going into 2020 for Republicans and especially for the president. Um, the Democrats have a, a different problem. Uh, they have no message. They have no messenger. Uh, and they have they have an inability right now to say anything that's coherent to the American people. I mean, I'm in the room. I can't really let you speak on behalf of Tell the Tell me what's your, mes- what's your message. Currently, the yeah. message which has been uniquely described is about that this president and his tax structure is not supporting the middle class, that we are, in fact, trying to make jobs and bring jobs back and increase the wages for middle class Americans and also health, access to health care. I see you timing me. Yeah. Yeah. That None of that resonated with well, what resonates. Well, you are a lifelong Republican. No. I don't expect no, I didn't it to say resonate, resonate with, with me. No, I'm saying it's yeah. not resonating with voters. Well, we'll see. You just said we win back the House. I think it's resonating. But you win back the House, not on message. But let's be clear about why you're winning. Just as we have to be clear about why we won in 2016. 
you're not winning because you've, you've got something that's driving people to the polls. I've had this conversation with your chairman, and his name is uh, Perez. Ben Ray Lujas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tom All right. Perez. So you've got Tom yeah. Perez as your yep. national chairman. As a former national chairman, yep. let's respect the responsibilities of the job, and, and that is to win the elections this November. But you also have to understand why you won. I can go back and tell you what my message was in 2010 and why, how and why it resonated. It's very simple. Fire Pelosi. And you know what that meant to a lot of voters out there? If I want to take control of government, I need to take control of who's in government. All right? Mm-hmm. Very simple. I just did that in less than five seconds. Well, that's why women are running and winning. Right. And so, again, what is their message? And how is that message going to resonate separate and apart from what is not an overarching message from the Democratic Party. Because as I said to Tom, and I will share with you, is that a lot of these women who are running as Democrats aren't necessarily Democrats. You've got to be under, you have to understand what, what puts them in to the game. If they're running as a Democrat, what are they? Oh, they could be. They could be. They could be independent uh, in, 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 on a number of issues. They could be not as progressive as some. I mean, that's my. They're, right, they're, they're on the spectrum they're of Democrats. Spe- that's fine. Yeah. But again, the question for the national party, which is what is going to set a presidential election, not someone running for the 17th congressional district in New York City or New York. Mm-hmm. All right, they're not setting the national message for the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. The National Party is going to do that. And to your to answer your question, Tracy, there is no national message from the Democratic Party. Oh, well, I take and that Trump back. Sucks. There, there, what, no, it's, well, which Trump is, sucks. But it's, which is not a message. And a better deal, which is great if I'm getting pizza, but it's not so good if I'm trying to actually identify with the party and motivate me to go out and vote. So separate and apart from the party itself, you've got a lot of animation. I'm not, dis- I'm not disputing that or running away from that. That's how you're going to win this fall because the Democratic side is fired up to go out and vote against Trump. Whether or not there's a national message, if, you, if we elect more women than have ever been elected to any federal office, that change is inevitable. Whether or not that's message we change. We hope. No, it is. It's inevitable. No, it's we've no. never challenged the system, Michael. We've never challenged I, a male-dominated system I'm ever totally in the history in of this country. With you. I'm totally agreeing with you. But I just look at the women who are already in the House. And it's like, it's like it's in, in the Democratic side, it's like 20%. On the Republican side, it's like 5 I'm, I'm t- Look. Your numbers aren't going to necessarily get you the power you need. Why not? Your ideas are. Your numbers are. get you your, power. Uh, your ideas are. And, it's, and I'm, uh, this is the point I'm trying to make to you. We laid out a set of principled arguments with the American people in 2010 that resonated with them. We talked about the nationalization of health care. You may agree or disagree with that premise, but that was the premise under which we ran. We had that conversation. We talked about who's to blame for, the, for your current state. We, we focused on... Some of the policies that the administration wanted to put on. Look, I got a lot of pushback because I didn't go out and talk about Barack Obama's birth certificate. That was not what I wanted to talk about. So for me, the, it was an ideas fight. It was a policy fight. That's where you win ultimately with the American people. You can win an election on dislikes, but at some point that comes back to bite you. Now, I've had this discussion on, on the health care. I think the Democrats can make an argument on health care. My argument, though, has been from the very beginning of this very year, I don't think you know how to make the argument on health care. Now, you're going to get the opportunity when premium announcements uh, and notices are sent out this fall. 
but I don't hear a lot of Republi- a lot of Democrats out there sort of galvanizing that that as an issue to take. Out. And again, I'm talking nationally. You're talking more parochial. And I think that there's, you've got to understand that there's a difference between a national conversation on an issue and a local conversation on an issue. Because you may get more resonance on a local level, candidate to constituent, but then at some point that candidate is going to be asked something on a national scale, and if he can't connect that dot, that's where they get into trouble. I've seen it time and again, both on the right and the left. Sure. I think there are Democratic candidates and and poll after poll and research after research that is giving Democrats a lot of reasons to talk about health care. It's the number one issue with yeah. most of our constituents, yeah. and it's working. It's Our message on health care is better than the Republicans' message on health care right now. The, we don't the Republicans have, a have had seven times <laughs> to replace Obamacare, and it has not worked. Yeah. So I don't. I don't want to get in a pissing match with you about no, Republican not. versus Democrat. I'm agree with you on that. But I think that, you know, I think um, to say but that still, Democrats don't have a message on a national level to take a win past 18, I think it's a little bit short-sighted because we don't know well, who's going to win in 18. We don't know what the constituency is going to look like in 18. We don't know how it's going to go in 18. It, it doesn't matter what they look like. You already know who they are. Democrats aren't lining up saying, you know, damn it to hell, we're going to go out here and fight for health care. Or damn it to hell, we're going to go out here and fight for the environment. Or damn it to hell, we're going to go out here and fight against corporate greed. I'm not hearing that. All I'm hearing is Trump sucks. And what I'm saying is that's great for now. What happens when you get into 2020 and who is your nominee well, who's going to right. nationalize that message for the Democratic right. Party? So, and, so in, first he should be saying, damn it all to hell. Damn it all, what's your health? Oh, David, damn, damn it all, all what's your health? <laughs> so in 2012, I mean, Romney read on, you know, I'm not Obama. Like, I'm not, like that, just, I'm not the other person. Right. And even Clinton, I'm not Trump. Like, that, 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 that doesn't work. That's always him. Anyway, so moving on, yes. I have a question. So you are the first male guest we've had. Oh, this has been great. Women up to this point. So we have asked Thank all you. of the women. For tapping into my feminine side. <laughs> two things. So two things I want to ask you. One, what do you think, just out of curiosity from a male perspective, mm-hmm. what is your honest thought on the biggest issue facing women today? Oh, that's, that is such an excellent question. And I think the biggest issue facing women in my small male-minded perspective is voice. Meaning we need to be louder. It voice. However, if it's loud, if it's soft, voice. Fill the space. Because to your point about the what's happening with women getting in politics, getting engaged, um, it's because many of them are starting to find their voice. And and they are taking from the kitchen table, they're taking from the boardroom they're taking from the manufacturing floor their voice and they're putting it in the public ether. And now it's no longer men defining the conversation. But women have, I think, from this moment forward, an opportunity to do so in a way that is greater than what men have been able to do, largely because these are our mothers, these are our sisters, these are our wives. Uh, these are women who have already been a part of our lives that we listen to and we pay attention to in one sphere. Now that's going to bleed into a whole nother area where I think that that's going to be an important opportunity to sort of to create a new foundation for uh, not just activism, you know, on the left or even on the right, but to, to going back again uh, to the 
to the point that was made about changing the way we do politics, changing the way we address a lot of these issues. So voice to me is important. And I'll give you an example that's not related so much to women as as it is to uh, young men and women when I look at the Parkland students and how their voice changed the behavior of politics around the gun issue. Um, and to do what they did in a state like Florida was a big deal. And, and there are a lot of lessons to be learned from that. So that's the space we're now in where these voices coming together can really change the way we behave. But it has to be, I, I still think, about something. And I think that's what's going to be interesting to see uh, as these women emerge in politics, if they make it about something other than, oh, I'm the first woman or I'm a woman in, and let themselves be defined by externals in a way that diminishes the power of the argument they're making for the change that's necessary. Yeah, so Kelly has done a ton of stuff on the left with uh, bringing in more women and, and making sure that women are right. heard and getting women more involved in organizations of a, a political nature and just organizations in general. And, and I've actually launched a Republican group on the right trying to get more Republican women. There's actually a lot of Republican women. There who are. Know? No, there and they're are. young. And we're trying to get them more involved and, and to attend awards events and conferences and speakers on panels and things like that. So um, so kudos to you for letting fire under my ass to, to do more of that. Well, and, to so your, and to your point, you know, the Republican, I think it's Legislative Committee, has released its uh, 18 on 18, which is 18 people, 16 of which are women, that they're behind and supporting this this, um, this fall. And it, it is that type of uh, organization, well, put this organizational support, that's going to be important. Our friends on the left have been expert at that and have done a very good job of identifying and bringing into play of those leaders. A lot of people like to dismiss that as um, either gender or identity politics. Well, you can continue to dismiss that at your own peril because that's translating into support and the votes out there. The challenge for the Democrats is how do they nationalize that? And Kelly, I, I'm, not, I'm just pushing on your point sure. because that's what chairman like me do. I mean, that's, we look at... I look at things, we get to a corner, I want to have, I want to already know what's around the corner or have a sense of what's around the corner before I get there. Well, so, every good strategist sees into the future. Right, and I get right. that. And, and I'm and a strategist so, for sure. So but, I'm, but I'm, what I'm looking at, all I'm talking about are the footprints I see right now and they're going in one direction and the country is going in another. Michael secretly wants the Democrats to kick everybody's ass. That's really why he just wants you to get your message on point. And so my, my <laughs> point to you is coherency of message matters. It is why Donald Trump won with just three words, build the wall. Coherency of message. You may hate the message. It may not have been a good message. <laughs> but I'm hate. just telling you it is it – is, it is where a reality TV voting population is right now. And folks need to understand that Donald Trump's voters were once his audience that he cultivated for over 10 plus years. And the beauty and the magic, and I do admire this about what he did, was translating those audience members into active voters who are to this very moment that we are in this room still with him. This man can go out and tell us the moon is made of cheese 
and those people will go out and argue vociferously why it is made of cheese. So that is the reality of the Democratic Party. It is certainly the reality of the Republican Party. And when you go into 2020, I will say this. As of today, if an election for president is held in November, Donald Trump wins. And when 2020 comes around, unless there's a different narrative created by the opposition, he wins again. One last question. You, to me, your message, what you're saying is in the future of democracy, we choose a message that plays to the lowest common denominator of humanity, even if it involves segregation, hate, intolerance, and just build that. a wall. That's... Build the wall. That no. was the message of 2016. Right, right, right. That's what I, and it worked. And it, it worked. worked. So, like, uh, if, I'm not if saying that's reading, the future of democracy. Why, forward, so why are you reading that into what right, I just said? I that, didn't say that. I didn't get that at all. Well, if you're reading I just, forward, incoherency of message. Right. Then ha- you have not come up with, as a Democratic leader, not you personally, the Democratic Party has no coherent message that resonates with voters out there on a national scale. It could never be that simple. It is they that simple. So- because his message think, was that you, simple. How do you think if my simple My simple is love Trump's hate. My right. simple is love Trump's hate. Okay. But that is asking too many people to expend themselves outside of the, their easy Let emotions. me give you an example of what I'm talking about. 2008, what was Barack Obama's message? Change. Hope and change. Hope and change. Hope and change. Yeah, okay. Hope and change. So I did a survey on hope and change. You know what I found? In a room of 300 people, I asked them, what was the message? And everybody raised their hand. I said, what was the Republican message? And people were all over the place. It was like whatever, right? No economic clarity, no prosperity clarity, no clarity. Only thing people were clear on was that we liked war. All right? So that was, that was 2008. On the Democratic side, I, raised, I asked the question, and the, and the hands went up on hope and change. Everybody knew hope and change, right? So I said, all right, great. What was the hope? And everybody agreed to what the hope was. Better America, da-da-da. What was the change? Everybody had a different definition of what the change was. Barack Obama as president never defined what the change was. And what national leaders have to do at the end of the day is they have to define the change that they're asking for. Donald Trump did that up front. He defined the change. Build the wall. Mexicans are rapists. That and you don't agree with that message. I, I'm, I'm not, and I'm not saying I agree with them. I was repelled by the message, but he won an election on that message. Very clear definition of the change he wanted to bring. And all I'm saying is, for Democrats, you're going to have to define that change. One of the struggles that Barack Obama had, and why even among Democrats, if you're honest will note that there, he did not enjoy the same level of support at the end of his term that he enjoyed at the beginning. And there was a reason for that, because everybody else had defined the change in those ensuing years. And they were at odds with the president about what that should be, because he never clearly defined it. There is, the, I mean, there in the Republican Party, you have people who are where I am going, we're not building a damn wall. And then you have the significant portion of the pays that goes, yeah, we want to build the wall. 
But he's defined that change. That's all I'm saying. But I, as a message strategist, I spent the last 13 years of my life doing political messaging. Right. And I don't need voters to vote for me for the reasons I want them to vote for me. I want them to vote for me for the reasons they want to vote for me. So if you leave space for change, my change can be one thing, but all their changes can be other things. And that gets me elected. That doesn't mean that necessarily my change is defined for my governance, for my time in the administration, for my time in the White House. A presidential campaign is a hell of a lot different than running for sheriff or running for Congress. It, it is that local message works. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the local message. You ran against me in 20, 2006 with Ben Cardin. The local message worked, even though that was a, a national race, had become a national race by the time we got into really into the throes of November for a lot of reasons. Um, it was still that local messaging that worked. And I'm totally there with you, Kelly, totally. All I'm, the only thing I'm saying is the opportunity is there. And I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that what I've seen so far and what I'm saying to you is the same discussion I've had with the national chairman. He's a dear friend. Tom and I, I was one of maybe three Republicans in the entire country that came out in support of Tom Perez mm-hmm. for all of his appointments. I've told him, and I will tell him again when I see him in a few weeks, that that national message has to be crystallized in a way that that comes up against this three-word mantra, build the wall. What's your repost to that? We, and mm-hmm. I, I can only speak for myself and the people I know that are working in the business, are doing everything we can to capitalize on the frustrations and obstacles and challenges of the administration, on uh, the passion of, of or the with voters. The administration. Of or with the administration. Depends on where you're running because I run local. Mm-hmm. We're running um, on the passions of the people, also local, coastal versus interior, mm-hmm. clearly, and trying to work. I work really closely with my candidates about how to be the right kind of representative. Don't pick a side. Talk to your constituents. What do they need? What kind of person do you have to be to be the right representation in Washington? Do it differently because why the fuck do you have to swim with the fishes? Figure out what I they love, need in I Washington. Love, I love that message. Yeah. As a candidate, I would love that freedom. Yeah. I love that message. None of my candidates are running for president in 20. Well, no, no. So I, I understand good. that. I understand that. But I, I love that messaging and I love that strategy and I think it's smart and I think it's what I, I guess I would say this, not to belabor this point any further, but I, I would say this. The National Party needs to pay attention to what you're saying and how you're saying it because that's translatable. All I'm talking about – again, my whole conversation from my point has been up here. I know grassroots. I've done grassroots. I get where you're coming from there and I think that's smart. That's how you could and probably will win the House this November. But that Wednesday morning – begins the 2020 presidential campaign. And I would like to officially welcome you back to this podcast <laughs> in December of 2019 when we can translate this conversation into the next conversation. There we go. And uh, we are mostly a podcast that talks about change and vision I and love progress it. and women. Yeah. Of partisanship and we women. talked a lot yes. of political today. This was yes. fun, though. Yes. I, I don't know that Kelly had fun. Yes. No, I always no, do. And, I, I always and, do. and I, I'm hoping I didn't. I mean, my goal was not to frustrate you or push back. I was just you know, I'm just bringing my insights as someone who's run a national party, who was a county chairman, who was a state chairman, who was an elected official. Yes. And, and I wanna, you brought Kelly we're and her very glad. together. Yes. And I, right, you were the reason I'm married. And I brought you together in 2006. <laughs> we're um, very glad to have you on. But, you know, it's, for me, it's it, these times are serious. And I want to see the national parties such as they are currently constituted 
to take these times seriously and not run on the fear and the animosities surrounding Donald Trump, but rather on the truth that the American people need to hear, which is what I love what you're saying at the, yeah. at the local level. And I think the local can bubble to the national. We I hope. don't think the national should bubble down. I think local we should hope. bubble up. We hope. Yeah. Thank you so Thanks much for, for joining us Thank you. Today. I know I ran over my no, lot of time. We, we really appreciate it. We've had, uh, we have had lots of fun today. I don't know if Kelly had as much fun as I did. <laughs> All Listen right. and subscribe to Dame It All to You Helen. should see her eyes are closed and her head is up against the wall right now. I'm I think, all good. I think, Kel- so I think Kelly's good. done. She's so good. good. She's going to chug her wine. Listen and subscribe to Dame It All to Hell on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, guys. See you next week. 